I'd like to start by just you telling us what is the, 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 the primary ideology or primary ideas that fuel Gorgoroth, Gorgoroth's music. Satan. before it's a podcast where we want to dismantle forms of oppression and hierarchy so the world can kind of come together as one to read books and listen to metal until we all die together uh we've got a a dude on the show with us today uh langdon couldn't make it he's um like deep into watching uh, chuggingtons on netflix he's in a pretty bit deep chug hole right now uh, we wish him well uh but we've Replacing him is a fellow named Dan Jackson, who some of you might know from a ton of stuff, because he does lots. Uh, mostly from the band, I don't know, even, I don't even know if people mostly know you from Void Ritual, do they? Dan, uh, tell people about yourself. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I would assume people mostly know me from Void Ritual for the most part. At least that's the one that I guess kind of sells the most copies overall, I guess. Um, but yeah, so Void Ritual, then there's uh, Dead Wretch, which is sort of more of a kind of weird combination of, of there's black metal and grindcore and a little bit of uh, punk and stuff in there too. Um, uh, so there's that. Um, there's Mendachum, which is more of like a, a you know super fast kind of angel corpse slash immortal type of black death metal hybrid um and there's probably going to be other stuff too but uh but yeah those are kind of the main three right now i would say cool and void ritual is more just kind of straight up black metal you'd say yeah it's very like second wave so like when i when i started um when i when i first started void ritual mainly it was it was you know sort of as you know, there was the Dark Throne elements and the Ulver elements. And, you know, so a lot of those uh, sort of mid-90s Norwegian black metal kind of sound, uh, so, you know, that that whole scene, I guess. But, mm. um, but yeah, so it's a lot more straightforward. It's probably a bit more melodic than the other two or, or even a lot more melodic, I would say. But, um, but yeah, the, that's kind of the, the crux of it is just it's, it's pr- like uh, I never had any sort of illusions of, of creating something wholly unique i always kind of wanted it to be sort of a love letter to the stuff i grew up listening to so uh, that's that's kind of what it sounds like yeah speaking of love letters to second wave black metal this the book we're going to be talking about is that could kind of be its um tagline it's goes it's pretty in love with the scene and the genre and and we've seen uh, stuff in there like there's uh 
I think uh, Nakamistium figured pretty big into this as well. Yeah, that 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 much is pretty apparent. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, I, I, like within within like five pages, I was like, okay, so this is supposed to be Blake Judd, hmm. um, oh, or or a stand-in for for Blake Judd, and then and, and then sort of the the sort of second camp, I guess you would say the the Ukrainians. That I, I I picture them as almost more of like a like a a Ukrainian version of like Pest in the War or something like that, like their hmm. ultimate fantasy of what life would be like if they could make it happen or something, you know? Yeah, that's like a. A Druk, Druk, I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah, that, but, uh, that is a weird guys. one. Yeah, Drudka, or I, I always say Ka at the end, I'm not sure why, but yeah. Um, or um, uh, maybe like Nocturnal Mortem, uh, or something like that, yeah. Or Wolves in the Phone, when they're kind of eco black metal stuff. Yeah. Right, with, with, a, with an unfortunate right-wing edge to it. True. Wolves in the Phone, room, not very right-wing at all. They yeah. literally met at their first protest camp. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to... So we're going to go into um, Corpse Paint by David Peake in a little second. But let's do some news. All right. Yeah, let's talk about what's happened. So there's new albums by a bunch of people, uh, Immortal. They've got Northern Chaos Gods just came out. Uh, uh, yeah. Death Heaven have just put out uh, they haven't actually released a new album which is called like Crazy Stupid Love or something and um, <laughs> after the film it's actually a soundtrack and um, <laughs> but you can like go to places and stream it so it's technically out uh, mm-hmm. there's Obscura there's, like technical death metal I've just got a new one The Spirit which is a guy from Weakling who are pretty significant i'd say right yeah yeah i i saw that and i i had made a mental note to try to check that out just because you know obviously that that weakling album is such a, a huge thing in american black metal history so to speak so oh, yeah, it massive. yeah i mean yeah so um yeah I, I i'm glad you kind of brought that up to remind me to look into it now uh the other the other bands i'm, I'm a lot more familiar with obviously immortal i i referenced them earlier and uh i, I quite enjoyed that album uh a lot um the new one? So, I think that's yeah, yeah. Is it worth checking out? Uh, I, I absolutely think so. It's it, it, it's la- like, did you get a chance to, to hear the title track, the, the sort of advanced I single they put out? I haven't okay. single thing from it. Gotcha. So um, the when the title track came out, the, the single, it kind of indicated that they were perhaps heading backwards a bit and kind of going more towards that battles in the north kind of sound where it's a lot more vicious the the chords are moving a lot faster um and it's just you know more brutal overall but uh the 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 whole of the album is is a lot more kind of varied and uh and and kind of wide ranging than that and so it kind of hits a fair number of points in their history and and so on the whole it's a it's a really good album um the the one issue i brought up and i actually i i wrote a review for the album for uh, a blog i write for uh sludge lord mm-hmm. and uh the uh in the review i kind of touch on something that i think is sort of a habit of demonas the uh the you know now guitarist and vocalist or at least he's playing guitar on the album i think live he's going to to have somebody else do the guitars just because I think his injury doesn't allow him to play for long periods of time. But the, um, the, he, he has a tendency to sort of go to the same well a number of times throughout an album. Um, and so in this case, he does a lot of those sort of like triplet, 
um, based like clean guitar parts. Um, and he does those to lead into like this sort of epic later era, era battery kind of sound where it's, you know, like the, the sort of 12, eight drum beat and the, you know, sort of slower pace and, and that sort of thing. But he goes to that well a little too often on the album and he did the same thing on his solo album. Um, although with that, it was more of like the uh, children of the grave, kind of like the dun, 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 dun like that kind of sound. Yep. So, uh, he did that like four or five different times throughout the same album. And then here he does, you know, sort of those, the, the clean guitar into, into big battery chords kind of sound um, a lot. But really what makes up for it is the faster stuff where, you know, it's, it's again, more of that like battles in the North or maybe like, uh, like sons of Northern darkness on the faster tracks there. So I, I really do think it's a, it's a good album overall, but it's a little worrying that he continues to kind of, you know, hit those same points over and over again, musically, compositionally. Hmm. Um, and then um, I'm trying to remember what was – oh, Death Heaven was the Ooh, second one you mentioned, yeah. um, which I I go back and forth with them because um, yeah. I, I think they are a fantastic metal band that tends to focus on things that, that interest me a lot less. Like uh, So I, I really get into – like on the last album, I really got into – the, you know, the sort of the more straightforward black metalist stuff. And I actually thought that was the most well-written stuff on the album. And then towards the second half of the songs, they, they you know, tend to go out exploring. And that's where I, mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, my, my eyes glaze over and I kind of, you know, start looking for the, the skip button and that sort of thing. So, yeah, like um, a typical, like, a, I think you heard the first song of, uh, they released of this album. It was like a, a great three-minute black metal song, then a four-minute kind of average post-rock song. And unfortunately, that was all jammed together into one track. Right. And I think that's kind of where I – and I'm not sure what the the answer is there because I I, I feel like – you know, they kind of almost have to include those those sort of post-rock elements because that's what they're known for. Like, that's that's kind of their calling card. So to abandon that altogether risks them, you know, sort of alienating the part of the fan base that really enjoys that stuff. But at the same time, the compositions themselves do suffer for it. Like, and, and, and I don't know that, like, kind of splitting them into two separate albums kind of like with what uh, Panopticon did where they kind of, they had their black metal half and then they had sort of the more folk uh bluegrass kind of you know second half um i I don't think that that's necessarily a good solution either because as you said it's kind of average the 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 post-rocket end of things so it's no tortoise or godspeed black emperor it's kind of pre-standard post-rock right like it almost sounds like uh like uh uh, like public domain like if somebody (laughs) needed that for you know for a podcast but they didn't necessarily want to pay for it um they might they you know they might look to that as sort of like background music in the meantime but for like i i don't mean it i don't mean that because it's it's well like it's well performed it just doesn't particularly grab me so i like i think of it almost as background music more so than than something i would be deeply invested in as i'm listening to it um and then uh obscure i think was the the last one you mentioned right Mm -hmm. besides despair um and i uh i I don't have like i i i have definitely listened to them and i appreciate them you know as technically skilled musicians and that sort of thing um but i tend to favor um the guitarist's other project um tholkandra Mm-hmm. Uh, which is sort of dissection worship, and uh, that sound obviously is going to speak 
more to me as somebody who's been sort of laser focused on, you know, like black metal especially, but then, you know, in death metal, I tend to, to favor sort of like the more simplistic kind of, um, you know, your incantation autopsy type stuff as opposed yeah. to, uh, or dismember or something like that as opposed to the, the ultra technical stuff. But I, I, I also, I, I also it, like it, you can listen to it and, and it's very clear that like for people who are going to be into that sort of style, it's, it's exceptionally well done. Yeah, and um, more news. Steve Dicto, the um, legendary comics guy, has died, so it's kind of sad. Um, less sad is Steve Bannon, the guy who probably should be dead, judging by his like skin. Uh, he was at a, he was like doing a book reading. I didn't even know he had a book, but. He was at Black Swan Books in Richmond, Virginia, and he got booed off the stage and had things thrown at him because that's what you should do to him. So normally I'd say love your local independent bookshop, but if you're in Richmond, Virginia, don't go to Black Swan Books because they were apparently friends with this guy. So I don't know what the hell was going on there, but um, yeah. Yeah, that, those guys. <laughs> yeah that's, that's a very... Like uh, how how a Steve Bannon ends up at a like yeah, and again it's it's exactly what you what you kind of intimated which is you know the, obviously they were fine with him coming there in the first place so that speaks ill of the shop itself but you know good good on the folks there for booing him and and you know pelting him with shit you know because mm -hmm. he kind of he he has if nothing else earned at least that and as you mentioned it, it seems like it's like on a second by second basis. Uh, him clinging to to life at any given point in time because he looks like he's either going to explode or melt, you know, into sort of just a pool of of you know protoplasm and God knows what else. And and yeah, he's... <laughs> like it, it, it's hard to imagine how he gets through a day without just being massively uncomfortable at all times. I, I hope he is. I, he, uh, yeah, if anyone I, deserves to be like just in constant pain. Wondering if at a second his skin is going to burst into boils and he's just going to go like full end of Raiders of the Lost Ark on you, <laughs> then then it's Steve Ben. So, yeah, him. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, another person who deserves uh, significantly more discomfort than they're probably getting is uh, James Maynard Keenan off of Tool. He turned out to be pro maybe probably a rapist. So, uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of Tool anymore. Like when I was a teenager and I just discovered Pot, like Tool were, <laughs> Tool were cool. But uh, yeah, I haven't like listened to. I don't even know if they've had new albums out since what, Laterals or whatever. Uh, I think there was one called Ten Thousand Days um, oh, that was after yeah. that. I, I, and I I don't know what year that would have come out. I, I feel like it probably was like. Uh, 10 or so years ago, but I don't know that yeah, with any certainty. Like 2007 or some, somewhere in there. That's yeah, it. right. Um, and and yeah, I Tool was a band that like when I was, you know, in middle school, uh, you know, and, and I heard uh, Sober for the first time. Hmm. You know, I think I want to say I like I, I don't remember if it was like Headbangers Ball or if it was just MTV generally or something like that. But I remember coming into contact with it that way. And thinking, hey, this is cool, you know, like it's, it, it, you know, I, I dug how how sort of rhythmic, rhythmically focused they were and that sort of thing. Um, 
And I actually kind of like I, I appreciated a perfect circle a bit more, which I know is sort of yeah, you know heresy to, to fans of that band. But I, I thought that Maynard's voice did better in sort of a more traditional sort of, for lack of a better term, sort of popular alternative rock setting than it did in sort of a more complex proggy kind of sound that Tool was going for, particularly in their their later you know sort of in the last half of their their output. Um, but I, I mean, it just it 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 stopped resonating with me pretty quickly, um, and like I, I listened to like you mentioned Lateralis, and I, I think it's Schism is the one that's like they sort of base most of their sound around nowadays, where it's like the it's got that that like that oh, yeah. and i and i keep listening to it and thinking this is like the weakest song on sound of perseverance perseverance <laughs> from death like it like that's kind of what it felt like to me um but i mean all of that is kind of secondary now because the guy's a piece of shit uh, and yeah. or a, a much larger piece of, piece of shit than originally thought and yeah. I mean, um, maybe he was a pretentious douche but you know this is on a whole level level now and he's dealt with it in a ter- he's dealt with it in a terrible way by just like one tweet, and um, yeah, he's just kind of hoping this is all going to blow over. But as we now know, like a couple of years ago, yeah, probably it blown over, but not anymore. Shit yeah, that, changed. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, not just a tweet, but like a super dismissive tweet of like, I shouldn't even have to lower myself to address these things and it's like like there's just a lack of like even if like it let's let's for the sake of just saying it let's say he is innocent of this like handling it in that way makes it i mean it it speaks really terribly of of him as a person as far as you know like not treating the circumstance with any sort of gravity or any sort of you know like he just he he treats it as if it's you know like somebody telling him he ought to to try a different hot dog stand or something you know like it's you know and 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 yeah i mean just an eminently hateable human being like uh, very true (laughs) in any sense of the word yeah yeah so that's the news. And um, let's talk about the thing we're here to talk about, which is Corpse Paint by David Peake. Uh, I've never heard of him before. This is on a kind of small press called Word Horde, like hoarders in a horde of orcs or goblins or something. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't heard of them either before. But you now, when when someone is going to put out a book about black metal, it kind of falls within the remit of the show. So I've got to kind of take um, I got to take notice of this stuff. So uh, they were nice yeah, and so I'll, uh, sorry, I didn't oh, mean to cut you off. No, I, I wanted to kind of I wanted to uh, to kind of preface this discussion by saying when it comes to sort of breaking down the book and how like how well written it is and. Um, you know, sort of the, you know, breaking it down with a more well-read perspective, that's very much going to have to fall to you here because <laughs> I, <Demand>. am, <laughs> I am uh, not particularly well-read when it comes to really anything. I've been, <laughs> you know, sort of laser-focused on, on sort of making music and like, you know, I, I kind of, you know, a lot of uh, sort of time I would have spent reading books or, or you know, watching TV even or, or whatever else, I, I tend to filter that into to either making music or, you know, doing something with, you know, I have three kids or, you know, that. so I, I really like this. If I'm being honest, this is the first book I've written front to back uh, in, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah, um, it's so you're not missing I, much in literature nowadays. 
So, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm probably going to, to play the role of sort of like average dope who like in an alternate world where this gets like, you know, this book gets recommended by like a, like Oprah book club or something like that. And it blows up everywhere. And so I'm just sort of like, Hey, I want to read a book. And then, you know, that's, you know, so, so I'll be sort of representing sort of like the, you know, the, the average dope who responds to a book having read one for the first time in, in ages. So good, that, good. that'll be my point. I'm, I'm glad because usually that's my role when uh, Langdon's here. He's much better writer than I am. <laughs> yeah. So that, well, that, finally well, well, get down to my level. Good. All right. Sound, it sounds great. So let, let's, let's do it. Let's do this. Okay. So Corpse Paint. Um, it is about, as we have said, a guy, a black metal musician named uh, Max, who is a really, really obvious um, analog of uh, Blake Judd from Magnistium, um, in that he's a heroin addict. Uh, he is, it mentions him stealing from fans. He's got a bad reputation, but has still put out a bunch of um, pretty decent albums in the American black metal scene. Uh, and he's from Chicago too, which I mean, like oh, yeah. if it wasn't obvious before, like really sort of hits the nail a little, like just directly on the head, like over and over again, like, listen, this is supposed to be Blake Judd. Please understand yeah. it's supposed to be Blake Judd. It's, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's him. It's that guy. I don't know where the lines are for like being able to sue someone for really, really obviously portraying him in a book. I, I, yeah, I need some like more talking guys to to explain that to me because I'm I'm pretty sure if you basically write that guy and change his name to a slightly different name, then that can still be you know I don't even know if this book has one of those all people are not based on real people don't see me bits in it, but it kind of shouldn't have because it's just Matt Blake Judd from Magnistium. and yeah they. They were they were very very like very like it's it's very like I, I kind of think of in a, in a different sort of media um, the uh, that movie Tusk Kevin Smith did where he based it like and he talks about the the oh, dude yeah. on his podcast where I mean it's it's so like it, I, I wonder if they had to like get his approval or something because it's so clearly based on that story that I I like it, it it's similarly like I like it just blatant so I'm wondering if like, I, I can't imagine Blake Judd would give his uh, approval to be sort of portrayed in this way generally. Um, We've put some but, behind it. Put yeah, bucks well, in there, but... <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I guess maybe there's something to that. But yeah, it's um, it, it is super blatant. And he is uh, kind of washed up. He's released a bunch of albums a decade ago. They were well received. All his albums since have sucked. And he's to kind of revive his career, he's going to fly out with a new drummer named Roland to a, a, like a compound deep in Ukraine, uh, which is run by another black metal band called Wisdom of Selenius. And um, there are a bunch of weirdos who like really take this shit seriously. And Max and Roland go out there, they have a few laughs in... Uh, Prague, I think it is first, in Kiev. And then they end up in a uh, this compound and then supernatural shit ensues. And it's... Yeah, I... 
I know you want the um, literary criticism side of things to fall on me, but did you did you get the sense that this was a well written book? I, you know, and, and again, my frame of reference is extremely limited, so maybe I'm exactly the sort of person that would think this was well written. But I, I actually, I, I did get a lot out of out of it. I felt like, um, like in terms of, of descriptions of, of things, like at least for for someone in my situation, um, it felt like it it did a good job of sort of setting scenes and and. Um, you know, kind of speaking to what certain characters were thinking and, so, and sort of that, you know, I, I didn't feel at any point like it was a chore getting through it. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a chore. It wasn't like kind of Dan Brown level terrible writing where every single <laughs> sentence is like, oh my God, I've got to stop and put this down because I've just heard the dumbest thing I'll ever hear in my life. <laughs> it was, it was very, it was, the writing was very, very average. It was like you you kind of eke through a creative writing class with this kind of level of writing, uh, and in terms of yeah, like we said, the characters are one is obviously based on real pe- on a real person. He's probably the only real character in here who's really that compelling. And it, it, I guess Roland, uh, the other guy, is fairly interesting too, but. Uh, the, the book kind of jumps from characters' perspectives pretty much mm-hmm. every chapter. And it's uh, a bunch of the, in, including at one point, a goat. It's There's a chapter written from a goat's <laughs> perspective. That one was, <laughs> that, that, that one, what, like, I, I kind of chuckled when I realized it was from the goat's perspective. <laughs> like, I was, <laughs> I was kind of like, um, Okay, so like I had to remind myself of of the goat's name, and, and that sort of thing. Because like, uh, the goat, Lico? the goat, yeah, Liko. Uh, like I, I want it, it read more like like a Finnish name to me or something. Like I like I felt like you know maybe I, there was a character I'd forgotten. It was supposed to be you know like this one based on like the guy in Sargeist or something like that. But um, but yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I, I, the 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 goat perspective chapter was like I, I kind of was like okay, this is a little. <laughs> odd um but uh but yeah the um it, it does jump around and, and when you were talking about sort of you know uh strigoi or i, I forget it now i'm forgetting his actual uh max, what is his actual name is max that's right max um max's character is probably the most fleshed out um they give him sort of the the, the most time to, to you know they kind of spend a lot of time with his thoughts and he kind of has more dimensions to him, whereas, like, at least in the the early part, I think Roland is a character that gets more interesting once, you know, like, fucked up shit happens to him, yeah. more so. Um, but uh, Max is, is you know, a little bit, like, they, they spend more time with him and, and that sort of thing. And Roland is kind of like, um, he, he kind of just goes along to get along a lot, and that doesn't particularly make for, like, a lot of depth for him as a personality mm-hmm. early on. Um but I mean, I think once he gets to the compound, it picks up for him a bit. Um, it, just in terms of like, you know, he sort of starts learning things, and I kind of appreciated that he existed as sort of the, you know, he doesn't really take this shit seriously at all. Like, uh, like as far as like the 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 mytho, the mythos and the and the uh, sort of the the deeper philosophical bent to the music, he's really just kind of a guy who 
wants to to hit things like he he just wants to to be a drummer and play in bands and just kind of enjoy himself um but max i i think he's you know they they he 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 well and also he he's more experienced you know just life wise um they i don't know how old roland is meant to be but they see he's they pretty young he's like 22 23 or something yeah they, they and, kind of portray uh, max him as, is in his that, 40s i think yeah, um, and so that Roland is meant to to be sort of a, a noob, so to speak. He's you know he's got sort of uh, I wouldn't call him necessarily naive because he's been through some shit himself, but he he isn't as cynical. He he isn't as uh, like he's willing to just kind of think that something good might potentially happen out of this. Whereas mm-hmm. Max is is just trying to kind of get through another fucking day, you know. Yeah. And um, with the Muslims themselves, uh, their main, um, like, I think she's the singer, uh, Seth. She's, mm-hmm. she's her, kind of, your mileage is going to vary with her, I think, because uh, mm-hmm. she's very self-serious. She's 100% a believer in black metal and this kind of cosmic philosophy that gets expounded upon a lot more in the book and she has just beliefs that in the real world would probably get her pretty deep into right-wing stuff and and she's she does uh, in the narration which isn't her speaking but it's the narration speaking for her she does say some like racist things about uh, people outsiders coming to ukraine yeah, they specifically use the phrase "dark-skinned immigrants" um, as yeah, being a source a... of con- uh, as as being a source of concern, and and I think that's when I started to kind of pick up on the uh, the sort of the the vague right-wing sort of uh, uh, you know uh, kind of backup beliefs, like things that are born out of her sort of ultra nationalistic territorial sort of mindset. Um, that, that's where I started to get in my mind, sort of like the, the peste noir, like, you know, the very militant, but also very like shit was way better back in like, you know, 1545 or whatever, when, you know, back when it was just us and, you know, everybody was free to do whatever the fuck they wanted and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, that was, that, that certainly painted them in a certain light and I'm, I, you know, I, I will. I, I mean, it definitely represents a segment of, uh, or, or and I and I can't quite put a uh, description on the size of the contingent that would kind of fall into this category of black metal fan. I, I don't know exact. I mean, there sure seems to be a lot of it, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know uh, exactly how big it represents. And and that I, I think that kind of gets to something that I, that we can kind of talk about too, as far as. Their portrayal of how much money black metal labels <laughs> would have at their disposal to to do shit seems a little bit exaggerated for the sake of getting through the story. Um, yeah, they, I mean, uh... they make it they make it sound like tens of thousands of dollars are being spent on sending this, you know, sending Blake Judd to the Ukraine, and <laughs> um, and and his his uh, you know sort of the Gilligan to his skipper. Um, you know, and, and paying off these, you know, sort of right wing militant, you know, weirdos to, uh, to record it themselves. They, they they seem to have tons of stuff and they put on like a, a show for a couple of hundred people every solstice. 
And where's their money come from? And they're pretty heavily yeah. armed too. They've uh, yeah, they that, a that, lot of heat. I, I feel like more so like a lot of their their budget seem to go into buying arms more so than, you know, say like buying, you know, like central air or, you know, uh, fitting because like they, they, the, the author describes the, the buildings as being pretty derelict. Like they're very worn down and rust on everything and, you know, not particularly well taken care of, at least the buildings themselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they seem to have a, a lot of resources for people who apparently just run sort of a and, – and I don't know if maybe the shows themselves or how they – like, they, they mention that they rent out, like, their barn and, and other things as sort of like a rehearsal space. But I can't imagine that generates the sort of income that, you know, that would allow for buying, you know, an entire stockpile of weapons and, you know, and – new animals for their farm and, and, you know, like equipment for tilling soil. And, you know, like it, it seems like it's a much bigger operation than what the money they have coming in would generate. So I, I feel like there almost had to have been like uh, like something that, that could have been included, like, a, you know, like just somebody's a trust fund kid or something, you know, like there's yeah. there's got to be. Uh, something there because yeah the 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 budgets these people have to work with are are uh, wildly inconsistent with what I like not necessarily just what I've experienced because I I have zero budget but um, but they're like even on you know like bands that are being put out through you know relatively larger labels their their budgets are not you know sort of like the you know, fifty, a hundred, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars that it seems like this sort of thing would take in in sort of the real world. And I'm and I'm sure there was a time where bands that would be sort of the size of like what a Nocmistium was. You know, I, I mean, I, I assume they're. I guess they're putting out new material soon or, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Now that they've got that new label <clears throat> uh, started up or whatever. But um, but I mean. Even a band like like a Nocmistium would have probably fallen like there was probably like in the 90s or something like that. Maybe they had a you know a fair recording budget and you know and you know more money to work with promotion wise and that sort of thing. But I mean it nothing like like this like you know where they're you know the, the label just has money to throw at you know these sort of you know weird like and not even like having any sort of guarantee as to what the like what the actual like that, that like I don't know what wisdoms of Selenius's track record is meant to be as far as like producing albums if they're meant to be sort of like a weird Ukrainian like, studio um, abyss or a unisound or something like that but that really isn't established either they're just like we want you to go to this place because they're fucking crazy and we'll think that'll make you make a good record yeah, and so like here's deep underground band they're like tape a few there'll be like a few tapes of them lying around they won't have any internet presence i think they mentioned having no presence on the internet at some point right they, yeah. they can't do because they're a billion miles from anywhere in the middle of the scary mountains so uh yeah they're they're supposed to be like so deep and underground that they'll lend their cred to max's uh new thing but and I, and I think that that idea is sort of like a, a romanticized black metal conceit. Uh, the idea that like uh, that a label would spend money specifically because of the the atmosphere that it would create, like that it would give to the record. They're they're willing to blow, you know, again, whatever that figure would be, tens of thousands of dollars on just sort of the ambience of, in which the album is recorded. Mm -hmm. uh, because you, you hear all those stories historically of like, you know, 
over going to some, you know, fucking abandoned cabin in the middle of the woods to record uh, Natan's Madrigal. Or you have, uh, you know, just the, you know, sort of the stories of the surroundings in which these albums are recorded. Abruptum um, had sort of, you know, stories about sort of turning their, their recording studio into just a, an, a, you know, sort of a, a bacchanal of, you know, cutting themselves and, you know, like it's sort of so pr- providing this you know, atmosphere is, is, you know, it's the sort of thing that gets albums talked about, but I don't think that's really the case in, I, and I, I imagine this book is supposed to take place in the current day. I, I don't think it's supposed to take place in like the, the mid nineties or anything. Cause they, you know, they, they talk about online presence and that sort of thing. So, um, that, I mean, maybe that adds something to it, but I mean, you know, they like mayhem when they put out an album, uh, I don't think it was the most recent one, but I think it was the one prior to that. Um, they, you know, put, shut themselves off from the world and sort of record, recorded this album in, in, you know, sort of a more sort of spooky atmosphere for lack of a, a more serious description. And they, it, it's just not, like I, I don't know how much a label would actually believe that would add to an album or particularly to an album sales at this point. So that didn't really, I mean, that, that feels like something that I would have come up with if I were writing this book in like 1998, because I was just so enamored with the idea of, you know, what makes an album cool is, is a lot more than just the music itself. It's, you know, sort of the, the philosophy behind it. And then also the lengths to which a band will go to make their music seem more authentic, which again, I, I think holds a lot less weight now than it would have, you know, 20 years ago. Hmm. Yeah. We're going to talk about some of the, I guess, philosophical elements behind it. And it's, and it's relationship with black metal is a, aesthetic kind of genre and idea but let's let's do one of your songs first um okay. so you sent me a couple of songs um do you want to just introduce the first one uh yes yeah, so the uh the first one here is uh and both of these songs are not going to appear like they're not available online they're not going to be part of uh, like anything i've got coming up they're just songs that i felt like it would be cool to give them um, sort of a you know a, play, a a way to be heard since they're not going to necessarily be released on anything official down the road. So this first song is uh, and I included it for obvious reasons is called uh, Strigoi and it doesn't have any lyrics. It's you know it, it didn't get completed and it was recorded at a time where I was sort of in between. I had just finished up uh, the the split with Barsha Sketh. Um, which I know you you very much enjoyed at least the the design was, of it. Um, was, the design it, of it, it yeah. looks beautiful, folks. Go check it out. Oh yeah, and and that's from uh, I, I don't know if it's supposed to be pronounced phenomeno or if it's uh, phenomeno or something like that. But it's um, he he designs also the um, or he has designed for Bloodhouse Nord also. Um, and so, yeah, and that was available through Broken Limbs recordings, uh, a few years back. So after I had done that, um, I was starting to look at like recording the first album, which would eventually become Heretical Wisdom. And, um, I was still trying to kind of figure out what that sound was going to be. I knew it was going to, you know, move into a more melodic space, but I was still recording with sort of my old setup. My, uh, the, the iMac I had when I was recording this was like from, God, I I, I want to say like two. It was one of those like blue shell iMacs. Oh, like the, I get like, it. You, you, like the all in one with the uh, like blue shell. And it's got a transparent kind. Yeah, exactly. And like the, wow. the sort of blue a... speakers in the front. Like, and I still have that. <laughs> 
that Mac like somewhere in my apartment, like in the, in a closet or something. But, um, and I, and like, so for the drums, I would like, you know, cut and paste individual, put, cut and paste individual samples. Like for a while I sort of isolated, uh, one of those snare hits from Weezer's blue album. <laughs> like, you know, that how they did sort of like those plain, like I, I did that, but then eventually I moved on to like other samples and that sort of thing. And so I would cut and paste individual hits and like programming the drums this way took me, for fucking ever and it was tireless and it still didn't sound and it didn't sound very good um so so I'm, i'm grateful now for like the the easy drummers and superior drummers of the world but at the time when i recorded this it you know it kind of gave it a lot more of a mechanical feel um but i was kind of figuring out what i was doing with the sound and to be honest there's a spot that you know if uh long time over fans will probably spot has been completely stolen from a song from matt and madrigal i changed the notes a little bit but um it's still like the same sort of dun 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 like there's there's and so that's part of why this never ended up making it to an actual release it was just sort of me kind of figuring out where where i was going and so i hope you guys enjoy uh something out of it but it's it's very much sort of a demo level uh recording cool that's good enough for me so here's uh void rituals Strigoi.
there was a Strigo by Void Ritual. That was a demo. It was pretty awesome. So, but we're still talking about Corpse Paint, uh, the book, not the stuff. But we will talk about the stuff maybe. And, <laughs> it doesn't. Um, it doesn't seem to actually factor in. Like the, it's called it Corpse Paint. No, no one. But um, like that, that isn't described as being a part of e- any of these bands' aesthetic at all. Like it's. Yeah, it's they, just they use the word. It's or, or explain what it is. It's just you kind of expect it to know what Corpse Paint is when you uh, open this book. Right. Yeah. I, I, and and it does. It's it's very much like it's not meant for a broader audience. It seems like it's kind of aimed specifically at people who are going to know exactly what's going on as you're reading it. You know. Yeah. I was I was going to ask about that. Like, as someone who's, you know, immersed in this, you know, in this life, um, did did you feel like this was one for the fans, or was is this like a introduction for people? Like if if you'd never heard of black metal before, would you get something out of this? You reckon? Um, I I I can't I, I can't really speak to that because I am I, like I have been for for over twenty years just completely uh, immersed and obsessed with this this music and and I like I I can't say whether or not I I, th- I don't think it would pr- like translate particularly well as far as like the sort of ancillary stuff the. Um, like you know meant like having that like i think you can kind of get a sense of like when he's talking to that shitty sort of uh crusty black and thrash band where he I mean, tries uh, to, corpse to masturbator I believe they call it. yeah cor- thank you thank you because <laughs> god knows i should have remembered that um but yeah <laughs> the fucking corpse masturbator okay um so uh yeah they um they're they're obviously not very good and he sort of you know works them i kind of got uh, visions of sort of, you know, like a pro wrestler kind of talking to a, a Mark fan, you know, sort of trying to take advantage of them. And it's sort of the same thing, but in a sort of lower scale black metal context. Um, and I, I think people can kind of get a sense of those sorts of moments where like it's pretty obvious and universal what's happening there. There are, you know, the famous guy is trying to take advantage of sort of the awestruck young fan who's who has dreams and aspirations to be what he is and that sort of thing you can kind of like that sort of stuff will translate but then there's like the the moments where they they where he gets into the sort of the musical specifics where i think they're gonna lose people unless they're familiar at least with like sort of the the larger bands like they they specifically reference transylvanian hunger and and that sort of thing and i mean like and from somebody who's immersed in it like the idea of sort of a crusty yeah, I assume with sort of like a punkish bent kind of black metal band, a uh, black thrash band, choosing of all songs from Dark Throne, Transylvanian Hunger to cover as opposed to, you know, something with a little bit more of like that same stylistic bent to it, you know, like a, like in the shadow of the horns or like some of their, you know, like sardonic wrath where they have more of a crusty sound to them. Um, seems a little weird, but I, I feel like the, the, they, they, he, he does an all right job of sort of hedging his bets, not going so deep that like people who have never heard of black metal even have will have no idea what's going on. But I think, it, like I think he he straddles that fence a bit too much in terms of like it, like clearly this it, this isn't going to resonate too much with like you know again somebody who's not a metalhead at all. Um, it probably isn't isn't gonna find this book most likely, but even if they did, I feel like they would they would feel sort of lost once we get into like the the sort of the the black metal cultural end of things. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like that that's gonna leave some people behind for sure. But um, 
as far but it also it doesn't it doesn't go like it, they don't it's not sort of loaded with fan service so to speak either where it's yeah. you know where where everything is just you know sort of this coded language like i have a, a friend of mine uh rick who uh whenever i start you know like i tweet about something specifically black metal or something like that he'll kind of accuse me of using like kgb code or something like that where it's you know i'm clearly not speaking actual words or english or anything so um, so it it, it 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 straddles that fence, but I think that he probably could have done a bit more to like if the goal was to get this to a wider audience. I think he could have probably fleshed some of that out and kind of explained those aspects a little bit better. But uh, but yeah, I I would say it's it's not going to lose everybody. Uh, but it but it it, it may it may, it would it, like you you do have to at least be aware of of black metal to get you know some of the context i think yeah i think with um like your average normie in the street is gonna is gonna see max and kind of get him because you get people know that there are drug addicted loser bands out there people like if i showed this to oh no, my dad he would think of max as being like motley crew or someone but, or like um, the, the the Rolling Stones or something like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. Pe- people get that archetype, like mm-hmm. washed up, um, drug addicted rock rock star. That's like a, there's a billion movies about that. Yeah. Uh, where I think it would lose people is is Wisdom of Selenius, because I mean, like we have trouble deciding if they're a real analog to any real bands, and you know you actually have like several real bands, and yeah, they're. They're a, they're a phenomena where it's very specific to the black metal genre. Mm-hmm. These like uh, very self-serious, kind of quasi-satanic, but always like way more into it than the kind of like uh, very performative levee stuff. Like it's not Marilyn Manson Satanism. It's like taking this shit really, really seriously. And taking it out to even weirder, stranger places. And there's a fair few bands like that. And when those bands have gone big and existed, i.e., the first wave of, um, well, sorry, the second wave of uh, Norwegian black metal, it's always ended badly. And, right. Uh, yeah. Has it? And yeah, it, these bands tend to, when they get a sort of level of fame, they tend to get outed as some level of neo-Nazi. Uh, even Lacmistium have had their accusations, although they're kind of bits bit under. You know, it's, it's not as obvious as someone like Fark Vickness that he's. But um, yeah, the Wisdom of Selenius are, are a kind of thing you'll only find in black metal, and they're very um, yeah, they're very their their whole shtick is very fan service. You can you can they're super self-serious way of talking about themselves and their beliefs is very familiar from interviews with um, like satanic tyrant werewolf or someone right or or i I specifically when i was listening to them talk i thought of uh abigor um like i'm I'm not sure if you're from are you familiar with abigor um Um, they're 
had the name i haven't like read an interview or something like that but uh, right they, they, they were I, I don't know if they still are for, but for a long time they were on uh i want to say they were on napalm records and they were like sort of one of the like they that napalm has sort of this this small cache of black metal bands that they include uh aside from like all of the uh more sort of fanciful goth metal that they they put out um and so like summoning is one of those bands and i think there's a connection oh, between um, and I think there's a connection between summoning and Abigorn. I can't remember exactly what that is, but I, I want to say there at least at one point was some connection there. But uh, the dude in Abigor, um, it, it seems to take the, the satanic side of things ultra seriously. And, and I, I kind of I, I talk about this a little bit, you know, just chatting on Twitter or whatever, where uh, part of me misses the the sort of archetype of the. Like, you know, there was a, back in the day, especially like in the in the late night, like in the late 90s, when I was first listening to things and in the, the early 2000s, every interview with a black metal band read like an interview with a supervillain, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, like it, it read like the 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 well-meaning sort of you know <laughs> journalist who's just wanting to talk about the album and um he'll be like so how did you come up with this and then the dude will lance uh, will, will launch into a a tirade with like overly you know flowery language and and yeah, like you know and, like dr doom or someone it's... right yes exactly and so they're they're like part of me missed that and then part of me is also like you know like I, I've I've only got a stomach for so much of it though. Um, you know, at least at this point in my life. You know, when I was you know seventeen, sure I, I'd eat that shit up because you know part of me wanted to believe that you know the sort of the the you know there there was a the the myst the mystic the let me try this again in English the mystical side of black metal was something that might you know might really exist or be willed into existence and there was you know part of me is sort of you know that being that age that wanted to romanticize that um and so i i think the author i, I don't know if the author specifically romanticizes that side themselves i i couldn't really speculate on it i will just say that he seemed to do a, a an exceptionally good job with that end of things as far as like that portrayal i think that was very much on the on the money for the most part as far as like the ultra serious and you know like again sort of the um the 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 overly complicated language for you know very direct inquiries and you know like um you know that that sort of stuff rang true for me but i but yeah i mean that is definitely an archetype and that that you you mentioned that being sort of fan service and and that absolutely is it's mm. yeah, um you, you recognize this if you've like seen any like uh super serious black metal bands pr stuff but they'll talk about uh summoning the ancient chaos into their like tape yeah, I mean, you can uh, like if it, to to say somebody in specific, it's like the the Nathan Burke stuff, right? Like it's you know like the 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 bands he represents that are coming from labels that oftentimes will take this stuff you know super super seriously, or at least give the uh, give off the appearance of taking it super seriously. And I and and part of me like as I get older. It wonders about that in particular because, you know, I mean, like the cat's out of the bag in a lot of respects for that. It's sort of, again, like with wrestling where, you know, kayfabe is dead. You know, everybody knows it's not real. And so um, black like we know Fenris works for the Postal Service. We know like, you know, they're they're every all of these guys have regular ass jobs where they clock in and out and they hate their fucking job and they want, you know, they wish their boss would leave. And, you know, like. These guys have normal lives for the most part, and I think maybe part of why 
these guys in particular were so far removed from that society as to sort of give themselves the appearance or, you know, the, the author had them in sort of this remote location uh, for a number of reasons, I would guess. But part of it would be um, specifically so that these people really could take seriously what they did. Whereas, you know, it again, for like a band that, it, you know, takes it, takes themselves super seriously, but they're also in like, you know, Charlottesville, West Virginia or something, you know, like, like, or, or North Carolina or something like that. It's like, we know that you, you know, we know that you're a mechanic, you know, we know that you're, that you have a regular job. We know that you don't, you know, you don't leave the recording studio or finish up the interview and immediately find, you know, like attend a ritual, you know, with animal sacrifice or, you know, like we know that, you're not doing this shit all the time because eventually you're going to drop the act and you're going to talk like a regular human being while you're drinking beer or, you know, something like that. So mm. I, I feel like, especially, you know, in the last 10 years or so, that per, that performative end of things, uh, of sort of the evil side of the, the philosophical side of black metal, I feel like that's disappeared or, or has at the very least gotten a lot more like sort of niche, right? Yeah. right? Like it's it's very... Uh, like th there's there's a very small subset of bands within black metal that still sort of behave that way, and and that leads credence to what you were saying earlier, which is you know again the label is entrusting these you know sort of the, these goofball you know <laughs> like super um, evangelical black metal folk who are you know it, it, and that like it, in a world where you do assume that they're taking this shit seriously, why would you make that as a business decision? You know, but but yeah. So anyway, to to get to that point, it's a very get back to the original point of this. It's it's very uh, like it, it's indicative of a, of a very small subset, I think, of of black metal bands. But it, it's it, it does exist. It's there. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it it is that thing has kind of died off a little bit. There are there are some some out there, but. Honestly, I think getting laughed at it on the internet has kind of killed them a bit. And yeah. bands like, um, I mean, even like Death Heaven have kind of killed that a bit because they there was no kayfabe with them. They weren't calling themselves Lord Angel Raper. They were just <laughs> like, hey, I'm Chet from San Francisco. I'm wearing a black T-shirt, but otherwise I'm pretty regular guy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even and even Blake Judd, uh, since you know it, he's portrayed as sort of like what I would consider to be a more you know a, a more uh, like I guess it's it, it more indicative of how black metal bands kind of carry themselves. They still try to they they give themselves sort of a, a slight remove from you know being everyday uh, mm -hmm. sort of regular Joes, I guess. But they they are still very much. They're they're a more realistic representation of you know they're they're more reflective of what you know the the broader culture in America really kind of is um, now uh, but but yeah I mean it's there there are a lot more you know for for every um, you know like I mean there was a time when again dating myself here but like being in like AOL chat rooms or like in like I used to be in these sort of mailing groups, you know, like email groups where people would like they'd have to, to send one song at a time in MP3 when they were sharing an album because that's how that, that was the, the, the file size limit or whatever. Um, and, you know, everybody was, you know, starting their email with hails and, you know, like God knows what else. And, you know, and they sort of all talked in sort of this this coded language, you know, meant to sound more medieval or satanic or, you know, whatever else. And 
that I like you said, kind of getting laughed at on the internet is has has done uh, a fair amount in terms of like getting the like knocking those folks down a notch. And um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I specifically remember, and I guess this would be sort of my closest um, personal interaction with people that that sort of are like that wisdom of Selenius uh, sort of mindset. Um, the like there was this band that that was local. Um, I'll refrain from saying them just because, uh, you know, I don't want to catch shit from them or something later on. But they were they were uh, like they wore their gauntlets, like the the spiked gauntlets and shit, like just out, you know, just out fucking shopping at at, at you know Albertsons or something, you know. And um and they would like when they when they shook your hand, they didn't shake shake your hand, you know, clasping your hand. They grabbed like the the back of your forearm near the elbow, like some sort of barbarian handshake or something <laughs> like that. Um, like it was, and you know, like at the time, I didn't think anything of it because I just wanted so badly because they were a much better band than the band I was in, and you know, like I, I kind of just wanted to go along to get along. But there, you know, the, that aspect of things I think has largely disappeared, you know, or, or you know, has at least gone into sort of the recesses of like sort of the the back of the subculture so to speak um so uh, yeah i mean there there i mean it was definitely it existed at least when i was first kind of coming up but uh it, it's disappeared largely now it, mm. it just has you know yeah probably a good thing too because like i say you have to like just scratch the surface of those kind of bands and you'll always find nazis they <laughs> always it's they they code it in these crazy terms like anti-cosmic pessimism and stuff but usually when you get down to it it's it's just nazis yeah there's a there's a good book to be written one day about the links between um neo-nazism and satanism and um the book that most people read on uh about black metal lords of chaos uh again if you scratch the surface of the the publisher of that feral house They've got some dodgy fucking links to people. Some of the people they've put out are straight up Nazis, as in they have armed bands and wear them everywhere. And uh, yeah, that's uh, and that was made into a movie. Lords of Chaos came out, I think, like last year. I, it hasn't. I don't think it's been like released, released for like general consumption because I, I feel like I haven't seen it available to, yeah, to buy have... anywhere or anything like that. But I, it definitely was hitting festivals like as of last year uh, oh, and that yeah, sort of okay. thing. So I, yeah, I, I feel like that's. But I, I don't, and I, and I get the sense that uh, wisdom of Selenius to bring us back to this book, Corpse Paint. Um, I, I get the sense that they're built less on sort of like the the Norwegian black metal sort of, you know, sort of random acts of violence. They're, they're not built so much on that sort of archetype so much as they're, they're built on, um, you know, sort of more, more recent, you know, like the more recent, like, again, I keep going back to Peste Noir cause that's the, you know, the, um, the band that sort of sticks out to me in specific, but you know, that, that sort of more recent, you know, uh, alt-right guys in, you know, very, clean shorn haircuts and you know very you know like that that sort of version of of sort of militant right-wing black metal um yeah. which I, I which wasn't really the the case for for the second wave bands the bands that did have that sort of mindset were they they typically would have blended in very easily with like sort of just your rank and file you know guy in a venom t-shirt you know like they 
they, they you know they they might have worn corpse paint and they might have had the spikes but you know like in day to day they would have just blended in whereas i think this band is meant to to be you know they they talk about the clothes they wear as being sort of more you know he he calls uh, max calls them under, uh, uncle festers you know like they they kind of yeah you know, they're, they're all very short like they're very short hair and they've got you know uh, these, you know, sort of big combat jackets on and, you know, the, that that sort of thing. So I think that that speaks to more of a more recent version of that sort of, you know, Nazi black metal appearance, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, to kind of sum up on Corpse Paint, I didn't think it was a well-written book and, like, on a technical kind of word-by-word level. And sometimes... With, with uh, writing, it's a lot of the time it's the opposite of music, where especially in metal and kind of punk and that whole like mega genre of extreme music, where something can be primitive and badly written and terribly recorded and be absolute genius and you'll love it. But um, with books, I think you've got to hit a certain level of technical competency before you get into like the area where you could be considered good and i don't i think there's some points where um corpse paints especially when it's descriptions of nature and um, kind of the ukrainian forest and stuff that those get to be good and later in the book where things are kind of falling apart on in the farm and it becomes incredibly bleak and spoilers basically apocalyptic at the end uh, right i yeah. think that i think that gets good but I think for the most part, the the technical competency isn't quite there. So if you're looking, if you're very sensitive like I am to that kind of stuff, in the way that like a musician like yourself would be to uh, to things in music, like the stuff we were talking about with Immortal, I may have, I could have probably listened to that same record and didn't touch on any of that because I'm not like tuned to that as a non-musician. Mm. But um, you'll you'll hear it and it'll be. Oh yeah, I, I get that. That's the drum time and so on. And um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think I've got the the same thing for for, for writing. I'm mm. attuned to prose, and so for me, this wasn't this wasn't on the technical level good enough. But um, but there's still quite a bit to like here, especially someone trying to come to grips with black metal in writing, which has happened precisely never apart from in book cycle or to chaos and um black metal would begin with a cult which also came out on foul house which is a very dodgy publishing uh, label kind of this, like i'm gonna do a, i might do a whole thing on foul house because they're quite big in like the metal writing world and they've got some they're kind of a proto alt-right in a lot of ways i could i'll get into that at some other point but um yeah just better better idea in mind like the the alt-right before the alt-right 20 years before or something but anyway wow. that's uh... and, and to to get to your to your you know like talking about the, the sort of the thought the points that you thought were good about the book um one of the things that i think that the author does you know again pretty well uh in in particular is like and and i i Maybe I'm, you know, I, I don't know how what this says about me in particular, but as they were talking about, like, describing the way the album was made and, like, what the overall sound of the album was meant to be, I kind of really wanted to hear that album. Like, I, like I, I did 
want to know like what that voice sounded like because in my head it sounded you know they talk about sort of overtone singing and and that sort of thing as as being sort of the and i guess i should probably you know kind of indicate spoilers here if, if somebody's going to check this out but uh they sort of talk about this you know sort of Le- leviathan you know the the god um that they that they actually sort of worship or whatever, and um, they talk about uh, like his voice and the way the voice sounds. And in my head, it kind of sounded more like uh, like Attila on uh, De Mysteries on Sathanas, but maybe yeah, like a more very dis- distorted inhuman. growling. Yeah, the, like sort of like kind of combined uh, like black metal slash like sort of the Buddhist monk singing kind of thing. Yeah, the, Attila is his stuff with uh, Sun is particularly good on his new. I think uh, last uh, Sun album, uh, Canon, which oh, is okay. like explicitly the uh, Canon is a Buddhist god. I think Buddhist or Hindu kind of deity, and he goes very hard into that kind of Eastern sounding thing. Right, and, and there was and there was some of that on. Uh, I, I don't. I want to say it's called Domkirke, the the uh, the album he was on, which was a live album, but it was recorded in. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if it was a Norwegian church, but it was in one of those old sort of uh, churches that it was recorded in, and he sounded great there too, where it was like largely based around. I want to say like pipe organ and his voice, and then of course the drone and that sort of thing. But I get the sense that that the voice would have been modeled after that. Um, the the but I'm curious as to like I'm trying to think of musically a band that sounds like what the author describes you know where the the album ends up being sort of very uh, simplistic in terms of like the actual music side but then like all of the the depth and and the um, and sort of the the overwhelming personality of the album comes from the voice um, and so like in my mind uh, like at first I thought. Um, that maybe it would sound like a like a Sargeist or like a, you know sort of that melodic Finnish kind of you know black metal sound. Whereas, but but at the beginning, like I almost thought maybe it was going to be more of like a Deathspell Omega, where it's all you know chaos and you know it's and, and that sort of thing. But uh, the the singer for that band, you know, speaking of folks with dodgy ties. Um, <laughs> Um, so his voice is not particularly charismatic or particularly different from your average sort of death black metal voice. It's, it's probably the most, uh, the most, uh, orthodox thing about Deathspell Omega musically. But, um, so I, I was kind of having a hard time putting it together and as far as like a band that this would be sort of modeled after on its own, but, and definitely the music end of things was not meant to be modeled after Noctmistium because the descriptions of this sound nothing like what especially current day Noctmistium sounds like. But, um, but yeah, so they, like the, the when it comes to like and and they get into like I, and I'm I'm terrible with remembering names but sort of like the 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 guy who uh, who is sort of like a fortune teller like the the um uh, Taurus uh, yeah um where he um where where like he's the ultimate right like he's the guy who doesn't drop character he's like the guy that like in that south park episode where they're all in a role-playing theme park type thing (laughs) where it's meant to be the old days he does not drop character for anything like he even if he's wearing a watch or something he just like hides the watch you know he he's very committed to like being that sort of um you know healer slash magician slash sorcerer 
kind of thing where he's reading runes and he's, you know, like he lives in his own sort of separate hut uh, <laughs> on the outskirts of the compound. Um, and, and when they get, I feel like the author particularly enjoyed writing sort of his uh, narrative thoughts and his, you know, his sort of like the words he was coming up with because that's where he gets very, you know, like very deep into the language and he's very, you know, like he seems very interested in, in writing that particular character. Um, but like whenever a medieval kind of tone to it, yeah, it sounds yeah. like it sounds like more like a fantasy novel at that point, like a, a dark fantasy novel. Right, right, and that, and I, I feel like that's, um, yeah, like I, I feel like that dark sort of fantasy character is, it, you know. Like I, I feel like like I want to know the, a, a little bit more about that guy's story, like where he started and how he ended up there, because they kind of just don't give him any sort of. He, he's left. He's kind of like the Undertaker in wrestling again to to bring a rest <laughs> like a wrestling comparison into it. They they never acknowledge like you like uh, on WWE TV. You're not going to see you know Mean Mark Callis from you know like World Championship Wrestling or something. You're not going to see any of that because they're very committed to giving him no backstory. He showed up one day you know at Survivor Series and then that was sort of it. And so this character in particular was very. Uh, like there was no backstory. We don't know if he was born on the compound or like the compound was built around him. Like we would like, he just exists and is there. Um, and then he, you know, and he, you were talking about sort of the supernatural end of the, like the, the book gets very, you know, very supernatural at the end. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's much 180 on the, the tone at the end. Right, yeah, because like it, it, like at first, it, it seems like it's going to be, you know, like I was expecting more of it to be sort of like the, you know, more like a story based on that sort of Norwegian black metal violent history where somebody gets murdered, and I, I expected the, um, and again, you're gonna have to help me with the name, um, the, uh, I, I want to say it's like Victor or something like that, but like it, the the guy who's sort of uh, Seth's long term oh, uh, love interest Grigori. is like, uh, uh, yeah, Grigori. Um, Gregor, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, he, um, I expected him to be sort of the long-term villain of the book, you know, sort Same, of like yeah. the more, like I expected him to be the the guy who causes the big conflict, and you know, into like I expected him to murder Roland, like I, like that. That's what I thought was yeah, like. It was I was expecting. Sort of... um, you ever see that film Hostel? Uh, I'm like... familiar with it, but I never did watch yeah. it. But it's basically some American backpackers go out to I think it's somewhere in Eastern Europe. They fall afoul of these uh, locals and they get tortured to death. I, I thought that was basically what the book was going to be. Mm. And, and, see, like I, and I could see that as being like sort of a, a, like a combination of that. And then also like um, – have you ever watched Headbanger's Journey where, uh, where the no, documentarian goes, goes up to, uh, to Gaul from Gorgoroth? Um, he goes out to, to, his, to his cabin and he takes him on this long – trek to his wine cellar basically like it's the separate <laughs> shed that he's got for just his wine and that's where the famous you know clip or gif of him where he takes a takes a drink of wine there's a long uh there's a long pause after he's asked what his influences are and then he just says satan and then that's it <laughs> like that yes. that is so i expected it to be sort of like that because the documentarian kind of expresses that he's uh, concerned about like Gaul taking him out to this remote cabin. As he would be. Uh, yeah, exactly. right. Uh, oh, he absolutely is. And and actually, to to bring this into Dead Wretch, just as a quick aside, uh, I I had a song on the first demo 
called Go Go Gorgoroth, where I talk about you know the when the trial for for uh, Gaul being I, I think he was on trial for assault or you know attempted murder or something like that guy, because. Yeah, he, he, or at, le- at the very least, beat the shit out of him. Um, he beat the shit out of this guy, um, and his mother, Gaul's mother, took the stand uh, and said that because the 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 victim had accused him of drinking some of his blood, um, and Gaul had uh, Gaul's mother had indicated that that was impossible because he was vegetarian. Oh. Uh, so his mom can't like you know the the equivalent of like mom bringing a, a sack lunch in for you at the the band rehearsal you know like sort of you know like that that sort of thing but um but yeah so anyway I, I like it made me think of that because the documentarian was very concerned about being led to this you know this wine shack with uh, with gall um, and so I thought maybe it was going to be something like like what you were thinking I was thinking or I was thinking that they'd at least give the 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 impression that they were going to try recording an album and that sort of thing, but things would quickly go out of control and be violent in a more sort of realistic way. But yeah, um, it, it sort of has, yeah, it has sort of a like a, the the back half of it, or at least the last third, uh, tends to like it, it makes me think of maybe a movie like The Witch, where it starts yeah, off so, very yeah. very stark and very you know like it like you know just painfully realistic, and it's about the difficulties of you know, having, you know, surviving on, on, you know, a barren farm and, you know, like that sort of thing. And then the second half just gets, you know, fucking nuts, you know, and, and that's kind of what happens here. Um, but it, it, like, I feel like, like the, the, I feel like there is sort of a disconnect there, but I also feel like the supernatural half of it is, is probably the overall better half, or at least a more yeah, interestingly it written part. Uh, it doesn't thematically work. But it, no. it works on the term in terms of writing. It works right. in works in a, in a sense that you, you. I think David Peake is more comfortable writing that than he is writing the stuff in the first third, where it's like j- junkies trying to score in the Chicago uh, projects. Right. I thought, I thought that was very like okay. I've seen The Wire a couple of times. I can probably I'll <laughs> try and write this. Right. But, uh, the stuff and, and in, the, in the late half is he. It seems like he's hit his groove in that point. He's just a lot more comfortable writing, you know, for for sort of supervillains, you know, like for you know the the sort of um, co- comically evil, you know, uh, again the 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 sorcerer and like the fucking, you know, even like um, uh, you People know want the to open portals to stuff. Right, and like Seth is it like kind of gets that sort of vibe at the end, and you know they they. And I, and I think that part of part of me and I and I'm like I'm not sure if I'm disappointed or not that this didn't happen, but at a certain point, because of the sort of more dry, you know, down to earth, gritty representation of sort of you know the the uh, the American culture and the the sort of when they're in America, that sort of bent to it. Part of me thought they're going to put all of this like insane supernatural effort into this album and it's going to fucking tank no one's going to buy it and like that yeah. that's going to be the end of the book is like what you fucking dummies like no this is stupid like mm. you know like you, 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 like everything you believe is a lie like i thought that was going to be sort of the reveal is that for all of these sort of coincidences and supernatural experiences they have when they're on the compound it was going to be all shown to be sort of like just a bunch of nonsense and like the mm. album was going to tank everyone was going to think it sucked the new vocalist isn't any good you know like it was going to get you know sort of 
raked over the coals by your, you know, your a- angry metal guy blog and your, you know, <laughs> like, and it wasn't going to go anywhere. And like evil was defeated by sort of, you know, metal elitist fan cynicism, you know, like I, I thought that that was probably like I was kind of hoping yeah, they, that was where like, it was going to uh... go. And then it just sort of ends with like, nope, black, a black metal album literally brought on the fucking end of the universe, you know, like that, or or at least the the end of humanity in the universe was sort of meant what we're what we're meant to take from it, you know. Uh, they recorded an album so metal it literally destroyed the world. Yes, that, that <laughs> that's sort of the the idea, and and I mean not for nothing, but Blake Judd ain't that dude, man. Like he well, like. He's it, it, thinking of where his next score is coming from. He's not thinking about uh, anti-cosmic annihilation. He's you know, right, yeah. Like he's his, got bills his, to pay. right. His stuff is is very like you know he and and you know I guess if you were to bring in you know like one of these you know sort of you know uh, alt right or or just straight up far right sort of lunatics and and you know give them some sort of weird you know like i like i'm trying to think of a situ- like a musician who would be able to have that kind of impact and that's the thing too is i think that the um, one of the conceits of this book is just overstating the kind of impact music can have on people um because i i mean it does have an impact and it can you know change the ways people think about something like it, it does have some of that but like convince like dry, driving the world into chaos is not something i think an album is ever really capable of and and i get i get that it's supposed to be sort of supernatural but i think even for 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 me that's a bit of a, a, a leap more so than even just the existence of this you know like this fucking uh ukrainian uh leviathan you know uh, uh quasi satan you know like that like i i I feel like that might be less believable somehow. Uh, that that a black metal album in particular could have that sort of reach and impact. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the only albums I've done that was uh, Beyonce's Lemonade. I mean, everyone's crazy about that. But <laughs> yeah, uh, that yeah, did I exactly mean, destroy the world. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, and and I feel like the devil would be smart enough to choose a more economically viable, you know, sort of genre. Um, you know, would 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 go for something that has a much bigger base to start with, as opposed to sort of relying on internet word of mouth to you know to kind of spread this you know mania and disease and 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 that's another thing that I I, I feel like I, I'm not sure exactly why that was added on because in theory, like you know, driving the world into chaos through violence is enough on its own. They back it up with the uh, or he backs it up with um, you know sort of the the. I keep wanting to call him Black Phillip, but the you know Liko, the the yeah. the uh, dark furred goat, um, is uh, carries this this uh, or is at least partially responsible for this disease that the sorcerer creates and lets out into the world and and that sort of thing and you know yeah that that tonal problem is it's going to be a problem for a lot of people uh, uh-huh. it's um, that same tonal thing is, is there in Black Metal too, between like the first wave of like guys like Venom who just wanted to play heavy music and get laid, and guys <laughs> like um, yeah, like Vavrikness who I think it was either him or Euronymous like was doing an interview and uh, the interviewer asked like, you know, Venom are just a bunch of guys from Newcastle who have regular jobs, right? They're just normal people. And he was like, he was like, I choose to assume that they are hundred percent serious about Satanism. <laughs> and they, they weren't. They were just dudes who wanted to, to drink all the time and get laid. 
and be like Motorhead. Yeah, and, but, I, and, and I get the sense at least, you know, like looking back on it now with hindsight, I get the sense that Euronymous was probably the one who was, you know, sort of the true believer, so to speak. You know, like he was the one that like had that, that, that sort of, you know, maybe more like a, a wisdom of Selenius mindset, except for that he still, you know, like he was kind of a trust fund kid and he kind of, you know, he had his, he ran a business and, you know, like he was, you know, like they, they had arguments about record sales with Varg and that sort of thing. And I feel like Varg, um, as time went on, at least, you know, sort of, you know, played that part, but it was largely more performative because really wanted to, what he wanted to be was a, you know, fucking recluse racist in the, in the woods and, you know, uh, and, and raise his, his white family and, you know, like, like that would, that he, he was, you know, he was sort of just at heart, uh, uh, a conservative, you know, he was just sort of a, a conservative who, who liked making people feel bad. You know, that, that was, that, that's all there really was to Varg in the end for, for as performative as he might've been in interviews. I think that's, that's really that all that was lying beneath it, where I think Euronymous sort of really more believed in the music itself and like sort of the, the, the mystical side of the music. Hmm. And dead is a whole other thing. Oh yeah, to, 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 to what dead <laughs> still was. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're kind of pressed for time, so let's go into let's. So corpse paints. I figure if you're into black metal and metal in general, I figure give it a go. It's like I say, it's not it's not the best written thing you'll ever read, but at like a hundred and something old, hundred sixty four pages, I think you know it's. It's not going to destroy your whole week to read it. Plus, you should be supporting small uh, presses like Word Horde anyway. Mm. But um, let's let's play the second one of your songs. This All right. Is, uh, yeah, when you uh, give a little intro to it, then I'll do your outro for the whole episode. Okay, gotcha. And, and uh, do it. Should I should I plug myself here as well? Uh, like the band? Okay. Plug away. Okay, perfect. So uh, so basically, where where I I would appreciate you checking me out right now is um, I post or I, I'm not even uh, like I I created it and I don't even know for sure how it's supposed to be pronounced, but it's e post or I post music um, on uh, Bandcamp. Uh, it's just I post music dot Bandcamp dot com and. How do you spell that? IPOS? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, IPOS music.bandcamp.com. And um, so what is there uh, is my the Dead Wretch uh, release that I just put out a few months ago, or a couple, yeah, I guess it's a few months ago at this point, or pretty close to it. Um, and uh, that the, the revenue from that album is going to an organization called the Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico. Um, and uh, that's uh, both of the, uh, the, the, the point of, of ePost Music is to be, um, is to, to sort of, you know, donate what I make from the albums to different charities that, you know, that have some sort of cause that I, that I care about. So, um, so Transgender Resource Center of New Mexico for Dead Wretch. And then uh, also up is a pre-order for the next Void Ritual album called Death is Peace. And the proceeds from that album are going to go to the, uh, to the uh, Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. Um, cool. so, uh, so that's where, yeah. And so basically that's, that's where you'll go for that. Um, so I, I would appreciate it if you check that out. Thank you. And then, um, the song that we're going to listen to is, uh, is a song that's actually a more recent recording than anything on death is peace. Um, but it's, um, from an album that's coming after death is peace. 
um, that uh, or it's it, it was recorded originally to be a part of that album, but I didn't feel like musically it uh, gelled very well with the other songs on the album. It's got more of a uh, mid uh, mid 90s sort of catatonia vibe to it where I mean I'm, I use clean vocals which I apologize for in advance because I'm not <laughs> terribly good um, but there's that and then it's got sort of more of that vibe mixed into a black metal context and it's kind of indicative of how far removed uh, future ved- uh, void ritual music is going to sound as compared to um, as compared to Death Is Peace, which is more of a traditional black out black metal album, this is you know starting to move into sort of broadening those horizons a bit. Cool. Is it, did did you like hurt your voice like the the guy from Catatonia or? Uh, no, no, uh, no, it's just, I, I'm just not terribly good at singing, uh, is, is all that comes down to. I, I, um, I, I don't really have, like, I, I, I have to, cause it's just me. Um, but, and I couldn't see a way to do the song without clean vocals, but, um, but yeah, so I, I gave it my best shot and hopefully you don't think it's too terrible. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give it the you know, benefit of the doubt then. So, and, uh, yeah, so we're going to play that in a second, but, um, come back next week because we've got a uh, book that's incredibly well written uh, it's called The Mere Wife and it's kind of metal as fuck too because it's uh, about um, it's a modern retelling of Beowulf the, the medieval saga about dragons and the son of Cain and it's yeah it's it's metal as fuck it's amazing the the, art, the book cover looks like it could be metal album cover it's got like a burning stag on it and stuff it's Nice. It's really good. And, uh, yeah, uh, so it's not out yet for another few weeks, so you can't check that out. But um, if you get a chance somehow, then you should because it's incredible. So we'll be doing that next week. Uh, you know, like and subscribe and all that. You know, usual online content stuff applies. So here is going to be Void Ritual. Uh, what's the song called? The song is called Mourn the Living.